Hello everyone, Dan Yessian here with a special podcast for you today. We all wonder at one point or another, is this all there is? Growing up as an Armenian Christian, I was hesitant to ask questions that challenged the foundation of my faith. But at the age of 75, my apprehensions have eased up quite a bit. I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down with Pastor Emeritus Garabed Kochakian to ask him some questions. What inspired him to choose his path in life? What are the connections between religion and art? What are the differences between Christianity and other faiths? Would all the precious gold found in churches be better spent on the less fortunate? And most importantly, do animals pray or go to heaven? Let's listen in. And I'm so glad that you're able to do this. At your service, I'm here. (laughs) Whatever you want to ask, I'll be able to answer as best as I can. I know you will. My question starting off would be for you to discuss your creative spirit in line with your art and with music and convergence of those things and how you put that in your frame of reference relative to your religion. My faith. Your faith. uh, My artistic skill and the gifts that God has given to me. We are all created by God and given gifts to make this earth that he created a better place to live in and to somehow bring his holiness, his presence into life. Specifically, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, just like you, you're a musician, and that creative gift and skill that you have and I have, I've coupled those two, art and music, together as a way to express what I believe in the context of my Christian faith. The arts were very fundamental to the expression of one's faith and how it's played out, ritualized, dramatized, and expressed and then presented to the congregation, to the people, and to the world. For me, it's a perfect blend. What, can I ask, instruments did you play as a musician? As a young boy, I took piano lessons and uh, I sang in school and then I picked up the trombone, and then I developed the skill of playing the organ, and I became a church organist in my home parish. Yeah, Hmm. and so, you know, you just kind of make sure that you put to good use that skill God gave to you, whether it's from the mouth and blowing from your lips or using your fingers, and fingers are attached to your hands, and the hand is a creative appendage to our body. And so that's how picking up a brush or a pencil or a a sketching tool uh, also became part of who I was. And my faith is expressed in form and in image. And uh, that was a perfect way to show in what I'm able to do, what I believe about Christ the Lord, God our Father, the Holy Spirit, the saints of the church, architecture and then I just kind of put that all together when I went to seminary. I never gave up that skill or lost it. It became kind of a pastime, maybe kind of therapeutic for me. Of course. Uh, when I, the heaviness of studies really got to me, I went to sketching and I went to playing the piano in a, in a room and it kind of soothed my soul in many ways. And 
After I graduated, became a priest, I took my art skill to another level and in another direction in the academic world and studied art history and then became a medievalist and then developed uh, a passion for Armenian church architecture and iconography. Uh, Can you explain iconography? To, sure, to iconography, all right, that's a technical term of a way of painting sacred images in churches. Icon in Greek means image. That's the root of the word. Okay. Ography is, whether it's geography or demography, it's the study of images and its application. Okay. So painting is very simply painting sacred images of, of what should be and can be expressed in form the saints of the church, the images of Christ Jesus, the Virgin Mary, etc. cetera, uh, that is the way to portray it. When you walk into this church, uh, <clears throat> we're surrounded by iconography or right. paintings or stained glass. Right. And then there's the music. And so how is it that music and art are Blended, blended together, together and yeah. coming out of this religion. Well, you know, in our churches, we uh, see many images on the walls, uh, on the altar, in the windows of stained glass. They reflect uh, the images of the people we love. In your house, in your living room, you probably have pictures of your parents, your grandparents, your children, your grandchildren, your wife, uh, all around you, just so you remember. An image helps us remember the visual form of God's created beings. And we need a mood. Sometimes when you're looking at pictures in your home, you put on the radio, you have a, a special melody or a special song or a tune that conjures up the past, brings you back there, and transports you. You see, that's what it is. Music transports in the same way art does. And when they merge and blend together, our family is with us. The saints of the church are not bone and flesh like we are today, right. but they were once in their images there for us to remember them and to honor them and thank them for their part in the building up of the church and the development of our Christian faith and making this world to be a happier and better place to live in. And we thank them for it for that. So well in, in the mood in the church, it's not pop music, but it's a special type of music, sacred hymns mm -hmm. uh, about them, about the Lord, about God our Father, and it just kind of brings everything together. The, the church is like that mixing bowl where it all is blended beautifully. Of course, you you know, with mega churches or Presbyterian churches or yeah. any other churches, we don't have all of this. No, and uh, that, that's darkness. Well, I'm, I suppose you would say, Father Garabed, you're biased when you say this. No, But no. the absence of images leaves a big void for people. What they fill in that time frame of their worship is scripture, almost like a extended Bible study that fills up time and all that talking. Of course, scripture is part of our worship. Our whole worship service is uh, taking the scriptures and sewing it together to express our faith. And the Bible's read during worship and so forth. 
but all of those words have images attached to them. Mm -hmm. And you get to know those people. It's part of your identity. It's part of your Christian history. And without those images, you're kind of naked. Uh, I'll never forget, I went to a, a cousin's wedding once, and uh, she was Armenian Catholic, and the boy that she married was an Italian. He was Roman Catholic. And both the boy side and the Armenian side, we cut together in this sanctuary. And please don't uh, think I'm being judgmental when I say this, in a church that lacked the luster and the spirit of God's presence. Uh, it was a sanctuary where there wasn't even a cross on the wall. I felt somewhat naked. I look at images somehow to attire me and dress me. And they did this uh, Unitarian church, I think it was. Uh, they chose that as the location for whatever reason. And we were all kind of at a loss, both the Orthodox and Catholics components of the families with mm. there to celebrate that ceremony and the rich tradition that we are so prone in to uh, worship and express something was absent and missing and so in these mega churches to me personally it's very cold and empty there's something missing and that's where your sacredness of image and music fill that part of your soul right Many, not many, but some will say that's an arguable point. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, you, you, know, you can they, debate anything, I suppose. <laughs> they'll say, well, you know, all the adornments, the gold and so on and so forth could be cashed in for helping the poor, for example. And mm -hmm. what's your thought about that? Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with us being called on to do the good works that God has placed us on this earth to do. But that doesn't diminish and minimize what we express to glorify God is of the most beautiful expression that we can offer. Yeah. That beauty element, uh, um, I know in, in all of Christian history, the Protestant Reformation, iconoclasm, iconoclasm in the early church was a period where people objected to the abundance of images. Why are they there? Right. And your focus is being lost in the images. You shouldn't be worshiping them. You're supposed to be worshiping God. All those points are valid, and they had some good points, but it doesn't minimize what we can create as part of what we believe and our faith. It's an saying. extension of God in form. There's mm -hmm. no less uh, is it important to put a cross on the altar right. or wear a cross around your neck to identify you. Mm -hmm. It's part of your identity. Well, we in the Orthodox East tell the world we have a large family and it's filled with saints, it's filled with holy people that we remember and they don't evaporate into cyberspace. They are part of our worship and we even put their icons, their images in our church. So we remember, not just to remember them, but to emulate them. When you look at an important person that their life changed the course of history, wouldn't you want to be like that? Right. Wouldn't you want to do the good that they did? And so an image speaks like a mirror to us. It's a portrait of our faith. Right. What drew you into the seminary? Well, I grew up in a family, very traditional Armenian family, just like you did, mm -hmm. with uh, celebrations of food, feast, festivals, and also family history. 
My grandmother was a great influence in my life. As a little boy, she lived upstairs. We lived in a three-decker tenement in Massachusetts. And I would eat my breakfast and then run up and be with grandma for the rest of the morning and whatever until I started going to school. And she would sit by, by me and read me stories from the Bible and tell me facts of family history that I came from a family of priests, of bishops. I had a legacy. And, well, I found that very interesting, and everyone re reacts to that, those types of stories differently. I really personalized it in a very proud and joyful way that, wow, I was part of a very long-standing tradition, as she explained who was who and who was the bishop of this uh, city in Armenia, historic Armenia. And so that interest spurred my desire to be close to it. But there was no vision or any. Did I get knocked light. over the head with a golden you hammer? Run, no, run, nothing like that. I mean, your calling to God, our call to serve God comes through people, and people influence you in very unique ways. And my grandmother was a very wonderful influence. Plus, we went to church as a family. We worshipped. It was we had no. Uh, option on Sunday morning. I may have wanted to sleep in, but my mother said, get dressed. We're waiting for you. Okay. Right. And, you know, uh, we, we live in a world where we want everyone to decide for themselves what they want to be. It's your choice. It's pro-choice. It's your life and so forth. Well, uh, that's all well and good, but you have to predicate it upon some foundation. Mm -hmm. And that's what my family was, a foundation for me. And it got built. I served as a young kid in the Armenian church I went to in Massachusetts. I served on the altar. I sang in the choir. Then I started playing the organ. I was the organist. I went to art school before I went into seminary, and that was another thing. My life took a, a turn where I was searching and seeking, was it really an artist I wanted to be? And it was more. It was more. And I don't regret because I still paint. I'm still an iconographer. I still dabble in art history. I give lectures and talks and so forth. And what God has given to you, if you use it to the best of your ability, you never lose it. Mm -hmm. You know that expression, if you don't use it, you, you lose, lose it. it. Of course. Well, I've been using it all this time as, as part of my ministry. You see, art can be a ministry too. Art helps people focus their faith on the beauty of what is expressed, formed, created, whether it's carved, painted, uh, cast in bronze, carved from marble. Uh, that's all part of God's creation. God gave us all these elements. Mm -hmm. Do something with it. Right. Make something beautiful. And in that creation of yours, don't forget me. I was the one that created that. So that iconography of the invisible God become visible in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's why we have icons of Jesus. Of course. You've shared with us a number of paintings. Uh, I was particularly interested in your depiction of uh, Jesus Christ. There's a rather narrowing in his face. It's, uh, it's not anything that I've seen before, the way that he's being depicted by your painting. In iconography, you're capturing the essence of a person's character and physiognomy, his, the structure of his body. Not so much so to replicate it as a portrait, 
like in Western art, but the bone and the flesh that covers the spirit within. It doesn't have to be exactly a replication mm-hmm. of what an artist is looking at. And that's, that's the biggest difference of Western uh, art and Eastern iconography. The body is dressed to express a certain character of that individual. And that's why it's important to know the history, the personality, the biography of the life of an individual, mm-hmm. because it shapes its form. Right using certain colors in certain icons, whether it's on vestments or the background or the ground or the, the flora, or all of those have a certain canon, which is a code to follow and use. For instance, the Virgin Mary's dress. She doesn't wear orange and pink or green and purple. She's always seen with the colors of red or blue. Red and blue in symbolism convey authority and monarchy, Mm -hmm. uh, royalty, and other aspects of human life and human condition, sacrifice, Mm -hmm. love. Blue is love and blue is a symbol of of heaven. Red is a symbol of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Green, the emerald, is the productivity and the, uh, the, uh, the fruitfulness of your love together. That's why as a crowned king and queen for that day and then for the rest of your life as a husband and wife, you're called upon to sacrifice purity, keep pure your marriage together, and together build a life, not only for your own personal glory, but remember where that crown was given to you in the presence of God. We look at pictures and icons all around us and we think, well, they're decorations. No, we're supposed to look at them in a way that we're reading it as if we were reading a book. It tells us a story. You look at any one of these beautiful mosaic icons, they're all telling us a story. But some of them are in Armenian. If you, especially for a younger generation, don't understand the language, it gets rather difficult. Aha, you see, that was the function and purpose of icons in the early church, because not everyone was literate. You were not literate, You could still see the image, and if someone's told you the story of Jesus being baptized in a river of blue water and by a man named John, and you looked at the icon and there's Armenian lettering, well, I can't understand what that says, but I can look at the icon and tell you the story without the words. Right. So it has a function in that respect. Right. And by the way, speaking of icon, you're not only a painter, but you've done design work for uh, iconography. Uh, yeah, did, actually, you did the, the, uh, the St. Martin's? The, the cathedral, cathedral doors. In New York Bronze City. Doors, right. right, and that was like a nine-year project of picking the appropriate theme in the story, looking in our treasury of icons and, and sculpted uh, pieces of art and putting it all together to tell the story of those are, those are the two front doors, right? Right, of, the f- two front doors of St. Bartan's right, Cathedral. But what is that communicating, those two front doors? It's the conversion of a pagan nation to Christianity. When St. Gregory the illustrious illuminator, the first patriarch of the Armenian church in the year 301 AD, right. baptized the pagan king who gave up his pagan ways, accepted Christ because St. Gregory performed a miracle on him. He healed and cured him from uh, leprosy and a very bestial existence. 
and he came to the light of the knowledge of God. He -hmm. came to the light of the knowledge of God, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, and the power of the Most High overshadowed him to step into the presence of God and asked St. Gregory, baptize me. So it's the baptism of King Dertad, and in the background, the beautiful mountain of Ararat, which was our holy mountain in the land of Armenia, and the whole story comes together. So if you look at it, it tells you the story. And there, there is no lettering at all on the door. That's very interesting. When we were talking about language and not being able to understand what was written, you can tell the whole story by just looking at it, even you know, without script. You, you talk about Mount Ararat, and the one thing that comes to mind is that it was part of Armenia. Mm-hmm. It no longer has been geographically speaking because since the, the genocide of 1915 we have lost it to the hands of the oppressors of modern day turkey right it's right across the border you can see it from armenia as you saw when course, you went to armenia right. it's within arm's reach but right. my arm's not long enough to touch it unfortunately <laughs> uh it's on the other side but it's there it's our holy mountain it's actually mentioned in the holy bible in the old testament when the uh, floods ended after 40 days of rain and and on the 50th day it subsided and the ark landed on the Mount Ararat. Ararat is scriptural. That's how old we are and how we identify who we are as a people of faith. Today, Christian faith. For over 1700 years, the Armenian church is like the oldest Christian national church in existence. Speaking of the genocide, though, you asked that I write a piece of music to commemorate that uh, event of 1915. Have you thought at all about uh, expressing that in art? Well, if we look over here on the side altar, there is an icon that was created to commemorate that particular horrible event in our history, depicting clergy, servers, altar servers, lay people, doctors, lawyers, whatever. They are people that were lost to us. Every family has experienced that loss from 1915. And they were never given a proper burial. They were never honored by the world properly. And even till today, Turkey denies the fact that it ever even happened or blames us to instigate it. But to elevate their memory to the highest honor, they were made the saints, just like St. John, St. Mary, St. Margaret, St. Gregory. They did a great thing for us. Their great thing was they never abandoned our Christian identity and became Muslims or people of other faiths or whatever under that immediate oppression of Islam. They never gave up Christ. They never gave up on Christ. And so they were then elevated to sainthood people who we want to be like. I don't want to give up Jesus Christ in my life, and I never will. If I grew up as a Muslim or a Jew Mm -hmm. or a Hindu or Buddhist, whatever, uh, am I behind the eight ball? No, you were just never exposed to the fullness of God as he became human on this earth in the person of Christ. Those faiths express part of what I believe is the fullness of the truth that is in Christianity. God became man so that we could become like God. 
For us, God is within us. God is not up in the stratosphere or, or ionosphere. His place is in heaven, that unknown place that we hope to be someday. But his place is also a joyful existence in our hearts. People of other faiths don't believe that. They don't believe that God could actually descend and become one of us. That's what makes Christianity so unique. God is with us. God created man. He made them male and female. And in his crown of creation, because he created everything else, man was the last thing he created in the seven-day story that we read from Genesis. In him, he planted his image of intellect, wisdom, the ability to express and reveal the invisible creator. People say, do dogs and cats have souls? Do fish have souls? You know, maybe they do. I'm not going to say they don't. How do I know? <laughs> you would, the you fullest... would disappoint my wife if you said, no, they don't. Okay, all right, good. <laughs> but that's... I mean, and even, you know, they, someone has said, do animals pray? Of course they pray. When a dog is barking, you don't know what they're saying, but maybe they're praying. <laughs> when a bird is chirping, maybe that bird is chirping a praise to the creator that made that bird. How do we know? But for the human being in which his image lives, we have the ability to reveal him in the highest possible creative way through our intellect, our artistic skill, our creativity. It's not just Dan created the trilogy in the army. God created that. There was a spark in a conversation where we're sitting right now when we had that first initial encounter. Will you do this? I got to tell you, it frightened me because I was sitting there and I didn't know where it was coming from at the piano. It was a revelation, an epiphany, whatever. I thought, what's going on here? Can I ask you a question? Because I've never asked this yeah. after I threw this into your lap. Right. Uh, once you said, you called me back, yeah, okay, dead God, I bet yeah, I'll right. take the challenge. Didn't you kind of somehow, or did you ever have just a moment of solitude in contemplating, what am I going to do and how do I put this together in... You just didn't go to a table and start working. You no, needed no. some. You needed some space to develop. I needed space, and in my solitude, as you're saying, I. It was such a confusion to me. But something happened. I just. It just. It just. It became, God it, filled your. It just started pouring out. It, yes. it was pouring out. I thought. I said, and my wife said, "Where is this coming from?" Mm -hmm. And I was amazed. You so see, Dan, an artist works the same way. Before I paint, I have to think, as I, you need the biography, the, the detail, the data, of right. and then you just kind of sit and ask God to fill you right. with yeah. every skill uh, possible to be able to create a beautiful piece for his glory. You did this for our people's memory and remembrance of this, and it's almost a catharsis to do that. Yeah, totally. Totally. But the end result is a beautiful symphony. I think I once said when we were talking, a musical symphony and orchestra, it, to me, is no different than an artist's palette yeah. with different colors on it. Do you see you, colors in music? Do you, oh, absolutely. You, you, do. you listen to the 1812 Overture mm -hmm. and the cannons. and I mean, you think of all these colors with the bombs and the cannons exploding and all mm -hmm. that musical expression. Uh, and the colors that I see are 
purples and browns and blacks and mm -hmm. and then when the smoke clears the, the the whites the rays of light that the a palette acts in that way it right. functions that yeah. way right. and then you mix it all together and that's what you do isn't there something in a musical production called a mixer yes okay you have your mixer i have my mixer <laughs> that's true it's called paint in a brush in a palette Yours is the technicality of bringing it all together, all together to create a beautiful, flawless symphony. And you did it. So you did it so beautifully. Well, uh, I have to thank you for encouraging me to do it. Otherwise, well, it would not have happened. It's so. part of the call. Father God, did you get hit over the head with a golden <laughs> hammer to become a priest? It's God working through right. people and calling you to a high level of creativity to express him. And all musicians are able to do that. How did uh, Tchaikovsky, Chopin, Paderewski, all of these uh, great composers create what they created? They were inspired. It's the Holy Spirit of God working in you. I use that expression since we've been talking. And it comes from the verse from the Gospel of St. Luke when the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary to tell her, you're going to give birth to God. Mm -hmm. You're going to be God's mother. The infant is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. You will call his name Jesus, Je Yeshua. And he said, and the Holy Spirit will be upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It will become part and parcel of you. Right. That is God's Spirit working in you, in your musical creativity, or in myself as an artist. Since your earliest beginnings of priesthood, how has or has your faith changed from then to now at all? Oh, well, awareness, I guess, is an important word. We take so many things for granted in everything we do every day of our lives. Everything's around us, every, everything we need in our homes, we acquire and we put there and so forth. But are we really aware of how they're filling our life and making our lives better? I took a course in, I, got my master's in art history in Armenian architecture and art. Before I took that uh, degree work and completed it, I used to celebrate the liturgy, the Badarak on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. standing at the altar and all these nice zones and components of this building and so forth. They look pretty. And, but until I understood its symbolic structure and, and its uh, deliberate creation, of zones and sacred spaces and how they function. After I studied that all, when I celebrate the Badarak, it's a completely different feel for me. Mm -hmm. I am totally aware that what is this building with eight walls and a dome and so forth is not just an accidental structure. It is built to represent the presence of God and his heavenly kingdom here now on this planet Earth in this location. Right. I am aware of it. You've been here on Sunday morning when you sit in your pew and you see the processions. And that Sunday we did the four corners of the blessing, right. the four corners. Yeah. The sacred space is provided to bring the invisible down into the visible. And this sacred space and sanctuary is dressed and attired in golds and reds and blues and images and symbols and forms all to blend together to create the symphony of our faith, God's presence. That's what it is. 
Well, I want to thank you for this. It was totally enlightening, educational, and I so appreciate your time, your valued time to be here. You better to do it. this. You're my brother. <laughs> you know, before I was ordained, Father God, I bet my name was Dan. I know. Okay. I know. That puts us together. So we're soulmates in that respect. That's right. Thank so, you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.